everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's a joy to be with you today and always fun to share with you on this day around the Lord's table. And uh, I want to share some thoughts with you. I uh, spend some time getting ready for Sunday knowing that this was going to happen, just reading and letting God speak to me. And I read an article that really encouraged me this week that I want to share some thoughts with you from that experience and also from a passage of Scripture in the Bible. So if you have your Bible with you in the New Testament, the back part of your Bible, there's a letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And it is referred to as 1 Corinthians. He wrote two letters that are recorded in your Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look together in a few moments at a passage of Scripture where Paul refers to and talks about this issue of the Lord's Supper. Now, as you find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, you recognize that there are thousands of memorials all over the United States. You can go to just about any town, any city, and you're going to find memorials. You go to our nation's capital, and there are hundreds of memorials that are erected there, and, and, and we see them all over. And, and the reason these memorials exist, whether they're in a statue or, or, or whether they're uh, a wall or names that are written or whatever form that they come in, the reason for these memorials is to remind us so that we do not forget. And and I want to show you a few that you will certainly be familiar with that will kind of give you an understanding of what I'm talking about. This one is is kind of a a drone or aerial view uh, from the mall in Washington of the uh, World War II monument. And uh, and it just commemorates people who served in different ways in in World War II. The next one is Iwo Jima, and many of you know the story of Iwo Jima. And then the next is the Vietnam uh, wall, and this wall contains the names of men and women who were killed in that. The next one is of a person. It's, it's Harriet Tudman, and, um, and perhaps you know the story that, the, of her life in helping free slaves. The next is another individual, Martin Luther King Jr., and his work commemorating uh, his efforts toward the civil rights movement. And then uh, another that perhaps you're familiar with is, is one that commemorates an event that happened on 9-11 and uh, and the lives that were lost there in the twin towers uh, that existed. And and if if you visit any one of these memorials, you will discover quickly that there's something special about them. You you will likely encounter someone who stands there and, and you recognize the somber expression or maybe even a tear as it comes down their cheek as they stand before this memorial. But you know what I've also discovered? You're going to find some people that are not affected at all. And they stand at the memorial as if it's nothing more than some kind of architectural wonder and and they kind of assess it based on its architectural ability, but it really has no 
impact on their life at all. And the difference, I think, is because either they don't know the story behind it or they have forgotten. And I was thinking about that this week, and I think it even defines some of the challenges that we're facing in the world today. Some of the things that I see on the news that make me scratch my head and I begin to look at things that are happening on college campuses and all kinds of, you know, marches that are happening on college campuses and we're wondering why that happened. And then I realized something. None of these memorials happened during the lifetime of those kids. Do you realize that every one of those college guys and girls today, none of those things happened during their lifetime? And it's possible they don't even know those stories. Maybe we didn't tell them those stories. They, they didn't even know the story to forget. They don't realize that sometimes these monuments represent something much deeper. It, it represents the reality that there is light and dark. There is right and wrong. There is good and evil. And sometimes... There are battles that rage in our world between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And if you don't understand that and you don't remember that and you don't see that, it's dangerous. Because suddenly we come to a place where we don't understand that there is still a battle raging today between light and dark and good and evil. I think Jesus understood that. He knew the value of remembering and he knew the propensity that all of us have toward forgetting. And as a result of that, he instituted a memorial before he died. And he said, this is going to be a memorial. This is going to be a, a, a moment for you. And I want you to, to incorporate this within your life so that you will remember. Now, we have a lot of different names for that memorial that Jesus established. And when we come together around the Lord's table, some call it communion. Some refer to this as uh, the, uh, the celebration of the cup and the bread. Some call it Eucharist, the Eucharist. Some refer to it as mass. Some even say the Eucharist Mass. There are a lot of different names for what we're about to do. But no matter what you call it, there's only one purpose for it. And the purpose is that we remember Jesus. And that we remember what he did. We remember his life and his death and his resurrection. And we remember the new covenant that is available to us as a result of that. And so with that in mind, there are several things that I want us to discover together. Now the Gospels tell us about Jesus establishing this memorial. Paul in 1 Corinthians gives us instructions with regard to it. So let's look at what Paul says about this memorial that Jesus established. And, and he does that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. And as we begin with verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body 
which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Paul kind of helps us recognize three important truths with regard to this memorial that Jesus established. And I want you to, to have an understanding of these three truths. The first that I want you to see is that this memorial Jesus establishes is to be a constant memorial. Um, most women would agree that men are programmed to forget. Would you agree with that, ladies? And, and primarily, we're programmed to forget things that involve dates and events, right? We have a tendency to forget anniversary dates. We have a tendency to forget birthdays. We, we have a tendency to forget those important days like February the 14th. There's something in most men that that we just forget. In fact, some women have said that men have a, a memory that, that really is, is only threefold. They remember good things, bad things, and convenient things. And that might be true. But I would suggest to you that maybe the reason we forget some of those birthdays is because they only happen once a year. I mean, come on. It's not like it happens every week. It's not like it happens every month. And and I, I can't always remember, I, I have to trust Tanya to tell me when birthdays happen so that I can make the phone calls or I, I, I happen to open Facebook and recognize it's your birthday and, and sound like I have this amazing memory when I say happy birthday to you. Um, but we are, we, are, we are certainly leaning on um, others to help us out, but maybe the reason is because it's not a constant memorial. Now, when Jesus established this Lord's Supper, it was to be a constant memorial. It was something that the early church did every time they came together. It was something that they did, and here's something really fun. It was something they did not only when they came together, but they did when they went home. They even celebrated the Lord's Supper round tables in their own household. There was a time when they would, they would eat together and remembering the importance of what Jesus had done for them, that they would scoot back from the table and they would literally recognize this doesn't happen. It doesn't have to be in a church. They didn't have a church. We have a tendency to believe this has to happen in a church and it's formal and it has, they didn't have a church in those days. And so it became something that was a constant part of their life. They would push back from the table and they would say, you know, before we leave and before we get started in the week and, and before we face and confront all the challenges of the week, let's stop and remember. And they would take the bread and they would simply say, this, 
Jesus said, is my body and it. It's given for you. Don't forget the price that was paid for your salvation. Don't forget whose you are. Don't forget who you are. And they would take the cup. And, and so it became a constant reminder to them. And they would remember. But, but the question is, what do they remember? What is it that we're to remember? If this is a memorial, what are we to remember? Well, Paul tells us that, that we are, uh, are to remember Jesus' death. He said, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim his death. This memorial is different than every other memorial in our world. Every other memorial in the world recognizes the contributions that people made while they were alive. If you go to the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Memorial, all of those commemorate great men and, 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 and what they did while they were alive. But the memorial that we gather around today is not remembering what Jesus did in, in his life, but remembering what he did in his death. It was in his death that our sin debt was paid. It was, it was in him willingly giving his life as a sacrifice that we were made alive. And so we focus on his death. But Paul also says not only do we remember his death, <clears throat> and remember that in his death our sin debt is paid, but we also remember that He's coming again. I mean, in that same verse, Paul says that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he returns. How long are we to do this? Well, until he comes back. And we're to do this with an understanding that he is coming back, that Jesus is going to return. It's the return of Christ. Do you understand it's the return of Christ that gives us hope? What I find interesting is that we live in a world today that drinks to forget, <laughs> but today we drink to remember. We remember what he did and why he did it. And we remember that, that we are sinners separated from God. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all of us. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. We can't live good lives. We've already messed up. We are a sinner. And sin separates us from God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The reason you're going to die one day, and I'm going to die one day, and, and in death we're going to be separated from God forever. The reason is because we are a sinner. But when we were sinners, God loved us. And Jesus comes and provides a way. And we remember in his death there is for us freedom. And we remember his return. And the return of Jesus means that our failure is not final. It means our disappointments are not deadly. It means our hurts are not forever. He gives us hope. It means that death is not the end of the road, but a bend in the road. It gives us the ability to, to, to face the death of people we love with all of our heart with a smile and a tear. A tear that I miss them, but a smile that tells me I know they're alive and well in the presence of God right now because they place their faith and trust in Jesus. And so we remember his death 
and we remember his return. His return means that we are victorious, that we win. But not only do we remember the constant nature of this memorial, we, we continually remember what he's done for us, we also need to remember the costly covenant that it portrays. You see, you and I are in a covenant relationship with God. If we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, it's a covenant relationship sealed by his blood. The covenant relationship that we have with Jesus covers our past and guarantees our future. It's binding because it was sealed with the blood of Jesus. The Old Testament sacrificial system required the death of an animal, an innocent substitute, and the blood of that animal to cover our sin. And in the Old Testament, whenever an animal was offered, it was as if God was rolling back our sin. He was putting it off. Um, he was looking for a day when it would be paid in full, but he's putting it aside now. And he's going to treat you as if it didn't happen, but it's still there. Um, it, it's kind of like the layaway plan. You were, you, does some of you remember layaway when you were a kid? Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But man, when I was growing up, uh, my mom bought all of our Christmas on layaway. What that meant was she would go to the store. It'd be like a Walmart store, kind of a box store. And she would go to the store and she'd find those things that she wanted to buy us. And, and she would buy a bicycle, for example. And, and, and so she would put it on layaway. And that meant that the store would take that bicycle, put, put her name on it, put it in the back of the store. And she would pay like, you know, $5 on it. And every time she'd come to the store, she'd go and pay like $2 on that. And so she'd pay $5 and $2 and $5 and every month building up to the time of Christmas. And, and you kind of aim it so that at Christmas time you pay it off. And if you do it just right, they get to hold it for you. You don't have to put it in your, your garage because it's on layaway. And then you go that day that you want to get that and you buy it out of layaway. That's what the sacrificial system was. It was God accepting payment, but it wasn't payment in full. It was looking toward the time when that sin debt would be paid in full. And it could never be paid in full by the blood of an animal. That sacrificial system looked forward to the time when the ultimate sacrifice would be offered and our sin debt would be paid. And guess what? It wouldn't just be covered. It wouldn't just be pushed aside. Our sin would be forgiven. And in the death of Jesus, our sin debt was paid so that our sin can be forgiven. There was an old song we used to sing when I was growing up in church, an old hymn. The hymn asked a question and answered the question. And it reminds me of this very thing. You remember the hymn. In fact, sometimes the worship leader would come out the little church we were in and he would say, as we sing this hymn, hey guys, you're going to ask the question and ladies, you're going to answer it. Or ladies, you're going to ask the question and guys, you're going to answer it. And, and here was the question, what can wash away my sin? And what's the answer? 
You remember that, yeah. Nothing but, what can make me whole again? Yeah. You know what that, the writer of that old hymn was saying? Is that when we remember what Jesus did for us, his blood shed on the cross was accepted by God as payment for your sin. And only that could pay your sin debt. So that it's not just pushed aside. It's forgiven. It's gone. It's wiped away. And so we recognize when we gather together today the costly commitment. Jesus shed his blood. He died in order that we might have life. Well, the third thing that I want you to recognize, and you know what, I've got to say this. Not only is it true that that the costly covenant was there, but I just need to say this to you. It is true what Jesus did for us, but what he did for us does you no good at all unless you respond to it. You see, Jesus did this, but you have to receive it. It's possible for you to believe that Jesus had died and rose again, but you're not. God's child because you've not done anything with that. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. To confess means to agree. If you agree, God, I agree. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. God, I agree that you came to earth in the person of Jesus, lived a sinless life, and you died on the cross for me. I agree with that. I agree that I need a Savior, and you are the Savior. And because I agree with that, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my life. And if you've never done that, you don't have a relationship with God. It's not through baptism. It's not through confirmation. It's not through church membership. It's through receiving the gift that God has given us in this new covenant he offers that we have a relationship with him. And so he invites us. But the third thing that we recognize is this. The third thing is a close encounter. This this we remember today as an opportunity for us to have a personal encounter with God. Here's the fun thing about the Lord's Supper, the communion, whatever you might call it. Nobody can take it for you. You got to take it yourself. This is personal. Dad doesn't do it for you. Mom doesn't do it for you. The pastor doesn't do it for you. It's between you and God. It's a personal moment. You know what Paul said? You need to do some heart searching. This is an opportunity for you to look and ask and answer the question, where am I at in my relationship with God? Do I know him? Have I Have I admitted that I'm a sinner and asked him to forgive me? Was there a time in my life when I did that? Have I turned from my sin and repentance? Have I received Jesus as my Savior? Am I? Do I think I'm going to heaven because I've been baptized? Do I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a church membership? Or or has there been a time in my life that I said yes to Jesus and I received him as my Savior? This is a time for you to personally look and reflect and see where you are. Where are you at in your relationship with God? Are there things in your life right now that shouldn't be there? Are you doing things that you know God doesn't want you to do? Is it possible that you're not doing things that you know God wants you to do? This is a personal opportunity for us to assess our lives and say, God, I want to bring my life in a close encounter with you. But not only that, 
It's, it's an opportunity for us to have a personal encounter with Christ. He said, I want you to remember this. I did this for you. When we take this cup and bread in a moment, I want you to recognize that this is between you and God. He would have done this for you if you're the only person in the world. He did this for you. Not for all of us, but for you individually. It's an opportunity for us to have that relationship with God, to, to, to celebrate with him with grateful heart. God, thank you that you love me enough to die for me. Thank you that you have forgiven me for my sin. Thank you that you had the power to rise from the dead and you give me that power to live and thank you that you're coming again because it gives me hope to live and a purpose and direction. And then finally, it gives us a personal encounter with each other. You, you heard someone say, as we always begin our worship time together, talking about what we believe is our purpose statement. Why has God put us here? He put us here to to help people from all generations and backgrounds, to lead people from all generations and backgrounds into a thriving relationship with Christ. And what that means is we've got all generations and backgrounds in this room. I mean, we've got young people and older people and people that grew up in, in rural areas and people that grew up in the city and, and we got people that didn't grow up here in America and people that English is not their first language. We are so different. But I want to tell you something. <laughs> In a moment when we take this bread, we're all the same. When we take this cup, we're all the same. We all need a Savior. And Jesus is that savior that's why we do this so let's pray together father for any that are in this room today that have never made a decision for you i pray that today would be the day that they would look and recognize if they're trusting anything else to get them to heaven that there's nothing else that works. You're the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by you. And you have invited us into a relationship with yourself. And so I pray that all over this room and those that are listening would make that decision to receive you as Savior. I also pray for those of us that are in the room today that we would begin to examine our own heart and see where we are in our relationship with you. Are there things in our life that shouldn't be there? And Father, as you reveal that to us right now, we just confess that to you. And we just say, God, forgive me. I turn from that. Give me the strength to turn from that, to turn to you. If I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing, God, give me the strength right now to turn from that to you. I want to be where I need to be in my walk with you. If there are things I need to fix with other people, give me the strength right now to do that. Let, let me examine my heart and... You point out things that need to be fixed. God, I want this to be a moment when I rejoice in you and what you've done for me. And as I remember, I want this to be a moment that changes my life moving forward. 
because I'm not going to forget who I am in you and whose I am because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.